This is Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and we are so glad that you are here to listen to this thing that we call a podcast. I'm going to get right to it, folks, because I expect that uh, this will be an interesting and enjoyable interview. Uh, Somebody that's been on my bucket list since day one. Uh, One of the most entertaining people uh, that uh, I get to hang out with, and uh, I haven't really hung out with him all that much in the last 10, 15 years. So looking forward to having him. We recently reconnected and uh, want to talk to him about his unique journey uh, with his brother and uh, sort of what happened uh, when they went their own separate ways because one continues to be featured on WWE programming and the other has sort of, other than a podcast and a radio show and some local things in Houston, has, uh, has kind of disappeared. So I want to find out why and get his story and tell some stories and uh, talk about Harlem Heat and Stevie Ray. Uh, So let's get right to it, ladies and gentlemen. It is my pleasure to finally get on sitting ringside the one and only Stevie Ray. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you hear me mention from time to time about when I started this podcast about eight months ago, nine months ago, I sort of had like a bucket list of people that I wanted to interview for various and sundry different reasons. Uh, and my guest on this episode of Sitting Ringside uh, is one of those that were on the original bucket list. My, I keep adding to my bucket list, uh, so it'll never be complete. But he was on my original bucket list and um, uh, for, for a lot of different reasons. I think an interesting career and uh, and uh, put a, a wrap up at the end of his uh, his his story, so to speak. So I want to introduce, without further ado, one half of the world-famous tag team known as Harlem Heat. Ladies and gentlemen, Stevie Ray, welcome to City Ringside. How are you? Pretty good, brother. Pretty good. I've been wanting to have you for a while here, and uh, finally we're able to hook up. So I appreciate uh, appreciate you uh, sitting down and talking a little bit. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm not, I'm gonna cut to the chase right now. I'm gonna start at the beginning. Tell me about Super Collider. At Super Collider, I took that name from a project that was being built down here in uh, the state of Texas, and I don't even think they finished the thing, and uh, it was going to have something to do with explosion and uh, energy, and um, that's why I got the name from. It sounded good, so I took the name. So you were out of, uh, you went to Ivan Putsky School, correct, in Texas? Yeah, yes, Ivan Putsky opened a school here in uh, Houston, Texas, and the head trainer was, uh, um, well, actually, he he didn't do much training, and uh, his son Scott was, you know, kind of a trainer, but uh, but the head trainer was uh, Scott uh, Casey, correct? Yeah, yeah, Cowboy Scott Casey, who was the head trainer, and you know, and Scott taught us a lot, man. He taught us a lot, and uh, you know, thank God, thank God for him because I think me and my brother we don't talk about it a lot, but we owe so much to Scott Casey, who actually not only trained us, but he also mentally prepared us for a business that he actually illustrated for us and told us what to look for if you guys make it. 
Because he used to always say, I think you guys can make it. And if you make it, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what you're going to have to look for. And everything he told us came to fruition. Everything. Just like he said. Which was unbelievable, if you ask me. No, absolutely. And uh, you, you got to, for this business, you got to be more, almost more mentally prepared than you are physically prepared. Uh, and that, you so want, you're 100% right. You're 100% that right. That may be the first time you've ever told me I was 100% right on anything, and I've known you a long time. Well, that's, that, well, that's the first time you were 100% <laughs> right. There have, been other, there have been other times you were partially right. You know, that you were partially right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, almost right. Now I you think, were very close to it. Now I know why this you're time, on. You're one hundred percent right. Now I know why you're on my bucket list because you are extremely entertaining <laughs> to uh, to talk to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you and so so correct me if I'm wrong. You and Booker uh, enrolled in Putski School together, correct? Yes. Were Were you guys wrestling fans growing up, or uh, was this just? Yeah. Uh, uh, some, know, that is why. That is why I know you know, so much about wrestling history. You can't learn about wrestling history unless you know, study, and take heed to professional wrestling. How do you think I know that? I thought maybe you studied it after you got in the business. No, no, no. You, did, you never thought that. That's just your reply right now. You never thought that. Stevie Ray knows what he's talking about now, man. Didn't you hear some of the, didn't you hear some of the things I used to give Tony Giovanni, who's totally clueless? On the history of wrestling, did you hear some of the things that we talked about on television? That's why you were so entertaining as a color commentator, but you're jumping way ahead now. I'm just asking you a question. <laughs> you know, when you when you say something like, uh, well, you, well, you guys, uh, uh, did you guys like wrestling growing up? Of course we did. Did I say he was on my bucket list? No, I'm yeah, just, I'm that's just, right. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I am. I, I don't know who else is on it. I'm probably the only one who actually... actually Keith, you know who's on it? To come on the show. <laughs> you know who's on it? Uh, uh, Keith Mitchell's still one of the other, one of the other ones that hasn't come on yet. Uh, uh, cool. you, re- you remember Keith, the uh, producer for uh, for WCW for Nitro? Uh, I'm trying to figure out why. Okay, it's your bucket list, so. Well, he was he was very he was he was involved in making uh, world class championship wrestling the state of the art. Then he moved to WCW and lived through that whole exercise that me and you lived through, but on a production <laughs> side. And then he went from day one, he went to TNA, and he's still with Impact Wrestling as the executive producer. So he has three stories really to tell, uh, you know, and they all have uh, different endings and different uh, ups and downs. That's why, uh, while a lot of people don't know his name, that's why it's such an interesting story. But we're here to talk to you now. So, so you yeah. guys, so you, yeah, are you, I want to know why you just gave me that whole, that whole backstory on Keith Melcher that nobody actually wanted to hear. And, I, and I'm one of the main ones, but be that as it may, go ahead and continue. Okay. So, uh, you, so you obviously were a big wrestling fan. Uh, uh, were you a fan of Houston wrestling? Were you a fan of WWE? Were you a fan of W, you know, NWA? What, what, what was your, what was, what was your expertise, so to speak? My expertise was pretty much whatever I could uh, gravitate to. Of course, us coming up in Houston, you know, we got to see Houston wrestling. But I learned a lot of my, uh, just like sports in general, I learned a lot of things about sports, wrestling, uh, uh, professional wrestling also, from books, books and magazines. Sure. That is what I used to do when I was in uh, middle school. I would go to the library early in the morning before. Um, school 
uh, was taken, I mean, was starting. And I would sit in the library and I would read about sports. Really? Everything that I was interested in, everything, yes, everything that I was interested in, I went and learned it in books. Professional wrestling also. What I couldn't get on the television in Houston wrestling, I would go read magazines back in those days. He had so many independent magazines. So I would know who the stars were all over the country. So, yeah, I, when I re- people talked about sir, go ahead. No, I remember sitting on the floor of the local magazine store going uh, going through it. At one point, there was about 10 different wrestling magazines that came out every month. And uh, yeah, as, long as, exactly. I, as long as I bought a couple, he let me, like, uh, leaf through the rest of them because uh, uh, I couldn't afford to buy all 10. But uh, And we've exactly. had Bill Apter on and George Napolitano talking about, you know, their time in the magazine business. But people that are just uh, used to, you know, young fans that are just used to the Internet don't really understand how much uh, – and I think this is something we could agree on. Don't understand how much the wrestling magazines back in the day educated us because there was, there was, you know, Oh no, my God, no internet, yeah. nothing. And that's, and that's what really, uh, I miss that. I really do. I really miss the independent wrestling magazines that talked about people all over the country and, you know, yeah, I would. It is what it is. I would. Yeah, I would wait. You know, I used to subscribe to Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and I would wait. You know, and I saw that that uh, you know big uh, Manila envelope, and I knew that uh, that that the, you know, and I would just sit there and read it, and you know, in one sitting, and and you know, it, it, you know, it, that was before the Superstation. And I don't want to date us, you know, a couple right. of old guys, but uh, before the Superstation, you know, so you had Houston wrestling, I had Florida wrestling where I live, but it, the only way to find out. You know what was going on around the country, around the world, was to to read the magazines. So, so you educated yourself in, uh, in the magazines. Now, curious. I, this is an interview with you, but I'm just curious because uh, uh, you know, th- th- you and your brother, you know, made a lot of history together. Was your brother as big a fan, did, or, or were you the bigger fan in the in the family? Well, you got to realize, back in these days, my brother was younger than I am. He's barely he's in elementary school. I got you. you know, he's like in the first grade when I'm in the sixth grade. So he's, he's, um, he was, uh, you know what I'm saying? This was, yeah. I think the sixth, this, the fifth or sixth grade is really when I started to really get into, you know, rest, professional wrestling. My brother was still a, you know, baby then, sure. you know, so, um, but yeah, as he got older, yeah, he, he, he loved my whole family, not just us two, my whole family. My whole family, you know, we used to go to um, wrestling matches and things of that nature when we were kids. Me and the older, you know, the kids that were older than my brother. I don't think my brother actually went to a wrestling event until he got in maybe junior high. And I think he, me and some of my older friends probably took him with us or something like that. But at, but back in those days, you know, the uh, as, as kids, I'm talking about elementary school, we went to the live wrestling event in the downtown San Houston Coliseum, you know, and one of the older kids would take us, you know, we would, we know how to ride the bus. We get on the bus and ride downtown and we know how to get back on the bus and come all the way home. And it was always one older kid in the neighborhood that looked over all the little young guys, you know, cause we didn't know what we were doing. And, uh, and then once we got into like junior high, we didn't need an older kid and we did it ourselves. Matter of fact, these are the same conversations I have with my daughter to this day, you know, like she's, she's, uh, she's turned 23 years old. And I was like, you, you just don't understand when we were kids, we did everything. I think in this day and age, you know, you can't, 
I mean, it's just too dangerous now. Right. To get I on mean, a bus. As kids, yeah, I said, as kids, we did everything. You know, we went to concerts, you know, live concerts when we were in junior high by ourselves. Yeah. You know, we knew how to get around. And that's so different. I said, you never experienced what we experienced back in the day from an entertainment uh, standpoint. Totally you different, know, totally different worlds. Uh, but on the other hand, could you imagine how much trouble we'd all have gotten in if uh, there were cell phones? Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear that. Uh, you know, you could say, "Hey, I'm staying but, uh, at my fr- I'm staying at my friend's house," and there was no there was no cell phones that could track you. But we're we're getting off <laughs> we're getting off topic. But uh, I, I like to. to... But no, no, no. I I really don't think we are. I'm just saying, from a from an entertainment point of view. Enjoying professional wrestling today or anything that has anything to do with entertainment is totally different from enjoying it, you know, at, at a different era. And Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's sad that like I was talking about when it comes to the, to the magazine, it's not sad, it's just evolution. Sure. Um, when it comes to the magazines, you only see the magazines about that company, not that nation. Absolutely. Um, and you grew growing up in Houston. You you know when talking about going to the matches, Houston wasn't just a territory. Houston was a destination uh, because uh, Paul Bosch, you know, is very well known that uh, probably the best pay guy in the in the in the country. So, and he would bring people in from all over, you know, for the for the yes. the shots at the Sam Houston Coliseum. I went on a uh, funny. You might have been there, and and so it would have been a small world, but. Uh, I went on a business trip with my dad when I was uh, uh, mm-hmm. 12 years old, maybe. And uh, and it was in Houston. So I went with him and he took me to wrestling. I think it was Friday night or Saturday night at the Sam Houston Coliseum. And Friday, main event Friday was, night. Friday event was Andre the Giant and Dusty Rhodes against, I think, Bruiser Brody and somebody. And, uh, you know, none of other, you know, most of the, the top guys weren't even in the territory. There was the underneath matches that were the territory guys. And, they flew in right. big boys and, and it was a, a hell of an experience, but to be able to, to see that, you know, every week or once a month or however often you were able to go, uh, you know, you talk about how you were, you know, you know so much and you're able to tell Tony on, on thunder things that he didn't know, obviously, you know, to be able to go sit and watch, uh, all the different talent come in, uh, cause Houston was the place, definitely the place to be. I would say in the wrestling business, there was Tampa, there was Houston and there was, uh, uh, Madison square garden and, uh, uh, so you were one of the top three. Um, eventually, you made your way over to Global Wrestling Federation. It was on ESPN, uh, and um, and you guys uh, uh, debuted as a team. Tell me a little bit about your experience with Global Wrestling. How long had you been in the business? Was being on TV? Uh, uh, how, you know, tell me how it was a different experience uh, to just doing the, the Ivan Putsky shows, the indie shows. I mean, Ivan Putsky thing was uh you know it it started and it was over with within a few months you know he's tried to he's tried to do television and he really didn't know what he was doing and i think from what i've learned in the uh since then you know in years past so many different people once they found out that me and my brother were here in houston and they was like hey man you guys worked for you know, Pusky, and I was like, yeah, you know, we went to Pusky school and stuff, you know, and then we get the 411 on, you know, hey, man, you know, we really wanted to help him with that, but he didn't want any help from anybody. We didn't know why he was bringing all those guys in, paying all those guys, this, that, and the other. 
And, uh, you know, we're green and we don't even understand that side of the business yet. We just, you know, kind of concentrating on being, you know, professional wrestlers, period, you know, which was hard enough. And, you know, if from what I know now, you know, if he had the, uh, you know, know-how back then, he could have still had something going in the city today because people were actually coming out for it, but they over-budgeted themselves. I had people come up to me and say, hey, man, that guy paid me this much money. He flew me in. He put me in this kind of hotel and blah. And these are people that really never made it in the business after I seen them there when we first started. That's you know? crazy. I was like, wow. Yeah, this, this happened. You know, so, they had sponsors and stuff like that. They had television, and all of a sudden, it was just gone. What so, was that? Knowing what I know about the Global Wrestling Federation, uh, this wasn't global. This wasn't. No, global. I know. This no, no, I know. But I'm, tra- oh, okay, I'm transitioning. Right. I'm saying they right. weren't. They weren't flying people in, paying big money. It was a, a shoestring budget, something that was on ESPN. Yeah, so, right. So, uh, so tell me and, about and how you got. What Pusky, that's what Pusky could have done. Sure. So once we went through that transition. We started doing, you know, just indie shows and shows that we could possibly get on. But the reason, the way we got on Global was like the independent magazines. That's what got us a job in Global, the independent magazines. A guy by the name of Bob Murphy, who was like one of the photographers around this area, the South Texas area, and he would take pictures of different people, and I guess he would sell them to the independent magazines. And he had taken some pictures of myself, and I was... uh. I was a super collider then, the, uh, the person you just brought up. Uh, it all ago. starts with super collider. Yeah, and the super collider was like one of the top heels in the South Texas area. And people knew, some of the guys up in Global knew me. And the Global people asked, hey, who is this guy? And uh, Tugboat Taylor was like, yeah, I know this guy. You know, I used to work, he works with us. And they was like, well, okay, we'll tell him to come in for a tryout. So Tug calls me uh, to come in for a tryout. Well, I was like, okay, cool. They want me to come down? Okay, I'm getting ready to go down. And uh, I'll call my brother, and I was like, hey, man, uh, Global want me to come up next week for a week for a tryout. Uh, I, think you wanna, I think you need to go with me. He was like, cool. So we set a date, and we went up for the tryout. And... Uh, I don't know if it was a trial. I take that back. It might just been an interview. I don't even know. They might just want to look at me. I, I don't know how, to, how it worked. But anyway, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a tryout. It was just to talk to Eddie Gilbert, you know. Then he was going to give me a tryout. Sure. So I get up there. I get up there. And uh, after they got through with their taping, I go, I go in uh, Eddie Gilbert's office. And Eddie Gilbert is like, uh, my brother walks in with me. He's like, who's this? I said, oh, that's my brother. He's like, your brother? He's like, do you work? And my brother goes, yes. He said, how long have you been working? He said, oh, me and my brother got in the business together. And then Eddie Gibbs was like, nobody told me you had, you had a brother. And he just looked around like, hmm, I wonder why. Well, come to find out, you know, my brother and Tug Taylor didn't like each other. So ah. Tug, Tug didn't tell him, you know, I had a brother. But anyway, uh, Eddie Gibbs goes, you know what? You guys just gave me an idea. Have you guys, uh, no, he said, come back next week. <laughs> just like that. We drove all the way down to Dallas. He just come back next week. It could, hey, he could have said, go home and so, don't come back. So yeah, he could have. <laughs> so we kind of looked at each other. Like, okay. We'll come back next week. So we come back next week. 
Uh, we'll go through the whole thing again. You know, they get through their TV tape and we go in the office again. He said, hey, man, I've been thinking since last week. He said, I've been thinking about, you know, building a babyface tag team. And I think you guys can do that for me. And he said, have you guys ever tagged together before? And me and my brother like, yeah, man, many times. And me and my brother had never tagged together before, ever. <laughs> hey, I just want to you stop you. I want to stop <laughs> you real quick. I will tell you that I've done this podcast every week for more than nine months, and I've uh, almost everybody on this podcast, whether it was a magazine writer, a photographer, a producer, a wrestler, no matter who it's been, is always a point in the story where they told a total lie to get their foot in the door. There's a, Jerry, am I right? Jerry, my, my executive producer's nodding and laughing. There, there's always a point where everybody, every single person, down to every guest I've had, has told a lie to get to, to get to that point where they made it to the next level. So so that's your lie. So uh we'll check it out though. We'll check it out. It wasn't one hundred percent lie. We were actually telling partial truth. We had never tagged together, but we had tagged against each other. Ah. Now so that's a, he that's had, not a partial so truth. He could have he could have been a little bit more specific. Okay. Now we did tag together in train when we were training in Russian school once. So in essence, it wasn't a lot. Uh, the wrestling, the wrestling school, training in wrestling school. That that that's 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 the truth. But wrestling and tag team <laughs> matches against each other. That's like the old. Uh, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm a, a little bit more. That'll be a little bit more specific, man. You know how that goes. But anyway, <laughs> that's how we. That's, but anyway, uh, we we sold it like yeah, many times. Sure, of course we did. <laughs> Is there any so other answer in this business? <laughs> so we come back next week. We're gonna get our tryout. We we come back up with all our wrestling gear and stuff. I like thought that, that was anyway. your tryout. Third week, you didn't no, get no, a no, tryout no, no. until the third week. Yeah, third week we come back for the tryout. You know, we had to go through the uh, the uh, interview period. You know. So anyway, it was some other stuff said in the meeting. I can't remember verbatim, so I just remember the the big stuff. But anyway, we come back the next week on our stuff, and Eddie was fired. <laughs> Lovely. So now it's like, okay, this thing ended before it got started. We were we were so excited, you know. And then uh, uh, Wild Bill Irwin had taken over, and Wild Bill Irwin goes, uh, "Well, you know, Eddie." Uh, he, he promised you guys a tryout, you know, and we're still going to give you the tryout, but, you know, that doesn't mean you have a job, you know. But uh, he promised you that, and we're still going to give you that. And uh, we were like, okay, whatever. That was nice. And of then, me. you know, different different guys start coming up to you, and, hey, man, who you guys working with? And we were working with, uh, I don't even know who these, the name of these guys. My brother remembered their name. I don't. Uh, the Wrecking Crew or the or something that ain't like a gothic rock and roll gimmick um, guys. And the guys, they that was their last night, and I think they were going to get rid of two birds with one stone that night, you know. So, you know, people coming up to you, hey, man, who you working with tonight? You know, and we go, hey, we're working with so-and-so. Green as hell. That's what we are. And right. the guys are giving you the eye, like, mm, don't say nothing, but like, mm, good luck. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just give you that eye, you know. And you, me and my brother, you know, He's on one side of the dressing room, on the other side. We don't know anybody in here. And uh, we come up. My brother comes over to me. And uh, I said, hey, man, are you getting the same vibe that I'm getting? And he goes, yes, <laughs> I'm getting the same vibe. 
I said, so you already know what they're going to do, right? And he said, yes, I already know what they're going to do. I said, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. I said, I've been watching these guys on television. So had he. I said, tonight we're going to make these two guys look better than they ever looked in their lives. And my brother was like, cool, leave it to me. You know, well, brother was a hell of a baby face, a hell of an athlete, as we all know. Sure. So I had never been a baby face before. So we had been talking about different things before we came up as to what we were going to do. We didn't know if we were going to, we knew it was going to be baby face because Eddie Gibble said that. So anyway, we go out for the match. We go over the match with those guys, you know, and then we go out for the match. And, you know, this one, you know, Dallas, Texas is such a, a bigoted, racist-ass town. You know what I'm saying? Even if I love the town, I got many of my relatives stay there. You know, but Global hadn't seen no brothers, I guess, other than Iceman King Parsons. I guess he had been around so long, he was all right, you know? So we walk out. They call us every name under the under the sun, man, you know? This, that, and the other. And I'm like, wow, you know? And you guys were the this baby the faces. Yeah, this is a pro wrestling business, but it's, it's a dark the, match. You uh, see what I'm saying? Yeah, I got it's you. A, it's a dark match, and the fans didn't really care. It wasn't hardly no back in the, back when they was taping those days. It was hardly nobody in there. Yeah. I mean, just the drunken, you know, sailors that really didn't care where they were at the end of the night. That was global, you know. So here come you know, those guys that they've been looking at for the last few months or whatever, and they rooting for those guys. You know what I'm saying? So. We start the match and we start going through all our stuff. And, you know, these guys, you know, they were like, wow, man, you know, we giving them stuff. We're doing stuff with them, this, that, and the other. We're doing what we do. We're doing what we've been trained to do. Because Scott Casey would always tell us, the guys that you're working with only look as good as you make them. Scott Casey used to preach this to us all the time. Guy hit you, you said oversell it to make him look good, you know, because that is the way the business is, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, that's just the way we was trained. But anyway, as we did more and more in the match, then my brother, you know, they get the heat on my brother because, you know, we have to tell him everything. Okay, get the heat, blah, blah, blah. And the thing was, as we watched them on television, because we had taped a lot of global matches, they would get lost in the heat. They didn't know what to do next. So what my brother did, he would tell them. Now, I'm on the apron. I can hear this. He was telling them everything on earth to do but you're the ones getting the tryout match <laughs> no 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 we both get a tryout match oh was, yeah. we're both just this is not a match for me this is both of us remember i told you eddie gibbard said i got an idea for a baby face right. tag team y'all right. come back next week so we came back there and he actually could we do we lied about being a you know right. tag team but we wasn't it was our first tag match this is our first tag match so my brother's out there telling them everything to do because these guys were lost as far as getting heat. And give me, shoot me in and give me this. Shoot me in and give me a backdrop. Give me a double clothesline. You know, uh, my brother, look at my brother. Go, you know, my brother, you know, you're telling the referee, go to my brother. <laughs> so they could get more heat. And he tells them, get your heat on me, goddammit. Because <laughs> they were lost. That's when I knew. I was like, damn, he's pretty good at this. But that's all he had ever done was be a baby face. So he knew how to do it. He was trained by Tiger Conway Jr. He used to do a lot of matches with Tiger Conway Jr. So Tiger showed him how to do this. And finally, he hit him with something. They both went down. He made the hot tag to me. The crowd goes nuts. Everything changed from us being belittled 
to everybody rooting for us, just like the Rocky movie. Remember the Rocky movie when he yeah. fought Alvin Drago? Yeah. This happened to us. Now everybody's rooting for Stevie Ray and Booker T. And we boom, 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 and we did something, then we went over in the match. And and that's just what we wanted to do was leave an impression if, if we were gone tonight. But what it did, it made them look better than they ever did. And it showed the guys behind that was in there watching the monitor, these guys kind of half-assed know what they're doing. Maybe we can use them. And that's how the whole thing started. So you worked for Global for a little bit, what, about a year? Actually, you know, we were in Global from 1990, that late 91, early 92, something like that. Yeah. We were there close to two years. So almost two years. So you make your way into WCW. Now, I've always kind. Of, I I think we might have talked about this like fifteen years ago at a bar where I have no. no I've, memory. Ne- I've never. I've never talked to you about anything. But but that I was, know. wasn't Sid, wasn't Sid Vicious involved in bringing you guys into WCW? Yes, Sid, yeah. Sid, 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 Sid that came down. To, he had been watching us on television, and even though, and I think Sid had worked in Global a couple of times. I mean. Way before we got there, right? Um, and like I told you, it was nobody in that building. Two months later, that building, the Sportatorium, was full. Wow! Of people with the Evan Experience signs all over the place. That's when we knew we could draw money, and then Sid saw it too. So, you know, I guess. Sid was pulling strings and stuff back in those days, and he called us up and said, hey, man, I want to, you know, I think you guys can make it and, you know, make it. I want to come down and work with you guys. So I guess he had talked with Ole Anderson about bringing us in, and he came down and worked with us in a tag match with one of his buddies who was not even a professional wrestler. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? <laughs> he called a guy Johnny Rotten. <laughs> But this guy was one of one of Sid's childhood friends that was like an engineer or something. And him and Sid been tight since they were kids and he just put on some of Sid's boots and uh and wrestling gear and he would come in and like take her arm and then pack pack Sid back in. <laughs> <laughs> that was his first wrestling match. <laughs> Gotta love it. Oh, fuck, oh, God, man, I'm thinking about that, man. That's why I'm laughing, because I haven't thought about this in so long. That's why I... Oh, I, my God. That's why I love uh, telling stories, because... Uh, oh, my, oh, my God, man. That one I hadn't forgotten about. Johnny Rotten. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... So, so anyway, you, guys man, wrestled, you guys wrestled Sid Vicious and his, uh, his accountant, and... Uh, yeah! <laughs> Who just happened to be riding with it that day? You know what I'm saying? He couldn't get, he couldn't find a tag partner, so he's like, "Okay, brother." This is why. Let me show you a car. This is while he's in WCW. Is, this is while he's in WCW. Is one of the top keels, right? Right. And he and he couldn't find a partner. I love. I love them. Oh, See, God. this is why you're on my bucket list. <laughs> he thinks he got a couple of moves outside the building. <laughs> Oh my God, man! Oh man, that's funny. That is. Funny. You know something, Pizza? I have not thought about that. Oh, oh, oh my God, since it happened. 
Oh my God, man, golly. But anyway, that happened. It was, you know, a decent match if I can remember. And, uh, then we went and met Sid over at his hotel room and, you know, shot, the sh- shot, you know, just, you yeah. know, sh- shot the shit for a little bit and this, that, and the other. Like, Hey man, let's go back and I'm gonna tell him, Hey, I work with you guys. And I think you guys are ready to come in. And, and that was pretty much it. Next thing you know, you know, we was getting a, uh, we were still in global doing our thing. And then global people came and told us that, you know, WCW had contacted them and, you know, they, uh, going to be, uh, wanting us to come up for a tryout. And that's how the whole thing started, bro. So before we get into before we get into the WCW thing, because I, I remember you guys from day one, you know, uh, uh, so we sort of we weren't uh, you know we weren't buddies, but we sort of lived it together in our own different ways. But uh, yeah. but 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 before we talk about that, you have a nickname for me. It's uh, called Kickback, and and if I remember correctly, originally when you guys first came in, you guys were hot when you heard you know when you when you heard the story. I think it became a joke, but. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you guys were really pissed off about it. So, so tell everybody how I got the name Kickback. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not gonna say we was pissed off about it. It was just like, uh, <laughs> it was just odd. You know, I was like, wait a minute, he's breaking all the guys. <laughs> yeah, but people don't know. Pinsley used to bring a lot of people in. A lot of you know would be wrestlers. Enhancement guys. I don't know. I don't know what he was telling telling them from the Florida area. Hey, man, I can get you tried. I can get you looked at. Who knows? This is David Pencil we're talking about. And uh, he would bring the guys in, and we found out that, you know, Pencil was getting a certain percentage of their money. So where we're from, that's called a kickback. It's called payola. <laughs> it's called payola, man. In, you know w- in WCW, it's called business as usual because everybody was doing it. And I didn't realize yeah. it until – until I got introduced to Jody Hamilton uh, uh, by Bob Roop. And he said, yeah, you know, I didn't realize that. I've told this before, but I didn't realize, you know, George South and Italian Stallion, they brought guys a carload in and they got a kickback. And then Rip Rogers would bring guys in from Indiana and Rip got a kickback and Mike Jackson from Alabama. It only difference was I just wasn't a wrestler. So, you know, that's the, I think that was the problem. Yeah. It was like, you were cool. What, you were, you were cool that Rip Rogers got a kickback, but the, the, the short little Jewish kid that wasn't an athlete, that, that wasn't cool. Well, firstly, we didn't know you were Jewish at the time. You know, that's first. But you all. knew I wasn't an athlete. Well, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell, what the hell is he doing? You know? But, you know, we, we, it was all in fun, though. You know, me and my, you know how me and my brother were. We I thought, we I honestly about- thought the first time you came up to me was the center stage. I'll never forget it. Uh, the, it was uh, by the ring at center stage. We were on the floor. Uh, there was, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and y'all could, I think Sid was kind of egging you, you, you guys on and, and uh, I, I honestly thought you guys were hot about it. Uh, so if you guys were, then <laughs> no. I, I'm then I'm lucky that I got out alive that night. And if you weren't, <laughs> uh, you were able to scare the, the scare me a little bit. So uh, well, we were just we were just you know you remember when me and my brother came in, we were about having fun, bro. Yeah, because that's the culture of which we grew up. You know, we were in the jabroni dressing room, and we livened the jabroni dressing room up. Yeah, so it was like, hey, let's 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 go mess with Penzer. Let's go give you know. Well, we mess with everybody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Let's let's mess with Penzer. You know, if we feeling, you know, like ain't nothing going on, then you look like a good target. Well, you know, you did your job. Just to mess so with. You did your job. Just to and- mess with. It. Never, 
It was never malicious. Believe that. Bro. Oh, I know. It was never I malicious. I, I wouldn't have brought it up if I thought it was. It was all in good you fun. Know, all in good fun. We thought it was. We thought it was funny, especially when we found out you were Jewish. Oh man, that now now I really can have some fun with it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you gotta watch now out. Really you gotta watch out. You gotta watch out, Stevie. This is a politically correct world we live in. So, uh, hey, 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 brother. Everybody knows how to me and. Uh, Raven to this day. Raven. Scott Levy. Scott Levy, yeah. Okay, we messed with each other about the. We've had. That was our whole stick with each other. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you know that, and I know that, but social media, politically correct social media, sometimes doesn't understand. You know, one of my best friends in the entire business to this day, uh, his nickname for me was Jew Bastard. And he may, and he still he still calls it to me this day if he sees me or if I talk to him. He did he he, he wasn't anti-Semitic. He wasn't. He, it was just, you know, it's just how when we you're pat- around when you when you're around when you're in a certain environment and you're around different ethnic backgrounds, religions, so on and so forth. If people, you know, people that have been in the Navy, Army, this, that, and the other, this is a culture. This just have fun with each other, but you love each other. Sure, at the end of the day. Of course. You know, and anybody that's unpolitically correct, would want to be so politically correct, they can't understand that. Then you never lived. That just means I understand where you're from. You know, when people come up and they say, you know, African-American stuff type stuff to me. It's a lot of my white friends. Brother, you only live once. I agree. 100%. I'm glad that a lot of my friends that I grew up with, uh, like my whole neighborhood, when I was. When we were doing, I'm, I'm not trying to jump forward, no, but no. I'm going to do it a little. I'm going to do a little before we go back to what you wanted to ask about. In my neighborhood, I didn't want to move in an all-white neighborhood. Every real estate broker tried to, you know, thought I wanted to live in an all-white neighborhood. And I would, I'm unapologetic about not wanting to live in an all-white neighborhood. And you know why? Because I've never been around one kind of people in my life. Right. So I wanted to move in an ethnic neighborhood that was still middle class. And I had to make that, uh, I had to make that really, really known to them. This is not where I want to live. Not, not that I got anything against them. I just feel more comfortable around. So the neighborhood that I moved in had every ethnicity inside of it. Sure. White, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, Indian, uh, uh, Arabic, so on and so forth. And I still live in that neighborhood to this day. Wow. And all those little, all those little kids, they used to watch me on television. They were all friends, you know, growing up in this neighborhood, you know, the, the Asian kids would come over and give me a ghost card for my D DB, DB, uh, my direct TV. So we could watch Mike Tyson fights. All these little kids would be in my, be in my house. They were every, every ethnicity. And I loved it. Sure. And all those kids have grown up to be good young men, bro. And they would all like to come over and talk to me about wrestling and stuff like that. And not like I said, it's not that I wanted, I got something against somebody, but, you know, and I look at professional wrestling that same way. We are from every part of the country and globally. Sure, absolutely. And we're every religion, race, you know, creed of people. And that, especially in WCW and brother, I, I thought that was something to behold and we could all get along and we proved it. 
Yeah, the whole, the thing that I thought was cool uh, talking about different ethnicities and all that WCW was that uh, Nakanishi. You remember Nakanishi, right? Yeah. He could he he couldn't he couldn't speak English until he got to the strip club. <laughs> until he got to the what? To the strip club. Oh. You know they 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 try to give him the finish and he'd be like you know he'd be given looking so then Sonny Ono had to come over and give it to him in Japanese and oh okay right. you know so so then we we you know uh you know I, I wasn't a big strip club guy but you know a lot of times we ended up there just because it was the only bar right. open on a weeknight in the town we ended exactly. in the strip club the guy the guy is like uh, almost perfect English I'm like what happened to not understanding the finish and he he would he would wink at me and just give me a big smile you know just playing the game but uh. Never, oh man! Never, is that great? Is I'll, that great or what? I'll bro? never forget. That's great. It. I just stooged Nakanishi off, but I don't think this podcast goes to Japan. So, uh, <laughs> no, actually, it does. So sorry. Nah. Uh, so yeah. anyway, so anyway, uh, going back to WCW. So you guys had had been really popular as a babyface tag team. The Ebony Experience. They brought you into WCW mm. as heels. It was pretty controversial. Were you, You're talking you, about the first night. Yeah, the first the night match. when you guys, when you guys, yeah. uh, uh, Colonel well, Rob. Let, let me let, yeah. let me quarterback that one for you. Please let do. Tell you exactly what Please happened. Do. Tell you exactly what happened with that. Please what do. happened with that was this is our tryout match, right? They told us to bring up some change. They told us to dress a certain way, and apparently Sid and 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 Rob and and whoever else, maybe Ole Anderson, had got together and said, hey, we want to bring him in this way, so on and so forth. Well, by me and my brother being so green and so ambitious to make it to the big time, we never gave it much thought in that in that way. Because they explained that, okay, uh, Rob, this is what we're thinking about doing. Rob, you know, you, your mother used to work for him, and, you know, you guys got arrested, and, and you guys were on a chain gang, and uh, Rob won you in a poker game, and he said, you know, uh, Governor, I beat the governor in a poker game. So, uh, governor, this is what you can do for me. You get my, my, my girl, her two boys out, and they're going to come work for me. You know, blah, blah, blah. And he's going to put us in the wrestling ring. And the change was to show a uh, symbolism of uh, the bondage that we had been putting in because of us being in prison, so on and so forth. Okay, when you look at that, look at that, that whole outlet, that whole thing that they put together, it kind of sounds pretty good. But from an image standpoint doesn't look so good, okay? Because that hadn't been explained. So anyway, we get ready to do our tryout match. And it was just a tryout match. Just It was a dark match. It wasn't even taped. Okay. Rob had just been out there with somebody. I can't remember who else he was working with. I don't know. Robert Fuller, Colonel uh, Robert Parker. We're talking about. Yeah, that's what we're talking about, Robert Fuller. So anyway, he had already been out there. He had just came back to the curtain. We were getting ready to go out the curtain. And then somebody yelled, I can't remember if it was Sid or somebody else. They say, Rob, you need to go out there with them. And Rob was like, well, we had been told earlier, it's a trial match. Rob don't need to be out there with We just, you know, I remember it was Scott Dillmore. Remember Scott? Yeah. I'm actually, I, I, ta- remember the- I talked to Scott today. Right. It was Scott Dillmore and someone else. And uh, Scott Dillmore, remember all those guys used to come down from Canada, right? Yeah, I booked and, them. And- I, I, that was my. I got a kickback from that too. Did you ever know? Oh that? yeah, that was that was part of your. No, that was part of your crew too. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you you know, <laughs> Rhino, all those guys, man. You, so, so anyway, um, we get ready to go out, and somebody tells Rob to go out with us, and Rob had you know emphatically 
you know, said that I don't supposed to be out there with them. This is the tribe manager. I'm like, no, no, no. You need to go out there with them. So Rob came out with us and like presented us. So when the people saw it, it was like, what the hell is this? So we went in there and we had a hell of a fucking match. Okay. Come Monday morning, we get called in Ole's office and Ole's like, okay, you know, I'm supposed to fire you guys today. <laughs> and we're like, for what? Well, that match got back to, I don't know, whoever was on whatever floor they used to talk about. And, you know, yeah, the, it was a bad image. It was, it was, the, know, top, it was the top floor. And uh, it, they had taped it just so that, you know, they could they had taped it not to air. Just so they, they often right. tape dark matches so they, you know, could right. get feedback from the booking committee. So they had taped it right. and somehow it got back to the people in the top. And uh, they didn't like the visual of that. But luckily you didn't get fired. But there was a lot of controversy about that. Exactly, and, I, and then we were trying to say we didn't have anything to do with it. I didn't tell Rob Parker to come out there. Now we had to just went out there by ourselves. Now you know, imagine this in your head: two guys calling themselves the Chain Gang. You know what I'm saying? The Chain yeah. Gang it has nothing to do with anybody in a white suit. You yeah. know, from a plant as a plantation owner. Yeah. You know, and then we just came out and did our uh, dark match. It wouldn't have been nothing to that. I don't think. What do you think? But it all worked out. But I'm just saying, as far as the controversy. No, goes. it wouldn't. I don't think it would. It was the. It was the image of the plantation owner and the the the, the black guys in chains and and uh, it right. just wasn't a good image for, cor- for corporately. Uh, and I understand. I look. Uh, I'm, we just talked about. I, I'm not a PC guy, but I understand why. Uh, you know that that wasn't a great image. But but uh, you guys were able to get uh, past that and. Um, and you guys, yeah. uh, they the, the main reason the main reason they brought you in was to, uh, or not the main reason, but sort of the way they debuted you guys uh, as a as a team was to be in war games, and uh, right that was the war games that the famous incident happened with the shockmaster who was on the other side falling through the wall. So uh, after you got after you got uh, through the shock of almost getting fired because because uh, you came out with a plantation owner in chains. How, 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 tell me about your reaction when you saw Fred Ottman go through the wall and his mask came out. Well, man, it was very, very funny, man. And, and actually I've told this story on my own podcast and, uh, you know, and I don't even know how I got on it on my podcast. Oh, well, we're talking about war games. That's what it was. And I was like, man, earlier that day, uh, Sid Vicious had told everybody, well, he told me and my brother, he's going to trip over that thing and he's going to fall. And, and, we didn't think too much of it because, you know, Sid is very meticulous. Yeah. You're a very meticulous person, man. You know, I've learned that about him through the years. And when his when he sees stuff, man, he he's on it, man. I learned a lot from Sid. I got the utmost respect for that guy, man. And uh you know, I didn't see it back then. You know, but years later you see, man, this dude just about his business and he's just about doing stuff right. He just see things and his vision and he likes to do them that way. And he had asked somebody, man, what if he comes in here, trips over this and he falls and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And I can't remember. I remember him asking somebody that, but I guess they didn't even take heed to it. They didn't even practice it. And then that night when we got ready to do it, you know, everything was about this. You know how you go over everything. And I think it was doing Ric Flair's, uh, his, his, his little. Flair for the gold with Fifi. Had. Yeah. Yeah, with Fifi. And uh, when that happened, and the thing blew, 
<laughs> oh my God, man! I don't even want to think about it. You're making me laugh again, man. You know, it wasn't it wasn't so much as you know he me laughing at Fred or anything like that. When it happened, the first thing that comes to our mind is what Fred said earlier. <laughs> He's gonna trip. And on. now all of this is really fun. It's like the Keystone Cops now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so all this, all this is really, really funny. Oh my goodness! Well, and, man. The, and the thing is, it would have been hokey if he didn't trip because that mask was like a dime store mask with some sparkles put on it. So even yeah, if he didn't I saw trip, him making it. even if it, he didn't trip, the whole audience would have groaned for this, you know, Superman guy, big guy coming in. But then he tripped, and the and the and the dime store mask with the glitter came off. And you know, it's 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 uh it's wrestling lore, but uh. Uh, I, I saw them making that helmet earlier, you know what I'm saying? They were spraying some stuff on it and throwing the glitter on it. And I'm saying to myself, you know, at that time, brother, you look at the big time as something so different than what you've ever experienced. You know what I'm saying? So we're thinking to ourselves, we're in the big time now? They're making a, they're making a helmet right in front of me? You know what I'm saying? I was like, wow, man, I, okay. You know what I'm saying? He's like, I don't know, brother. So yeah, you just you mind. guys had you guys had just <laughs> missed you guys had just missed like probably by six months. Uh, Kevin Nash playing the Wizard the Oz, Oz character uh, <laughs> with Kevin Sullivan as the wizard, and uh, somehow when the hit the monkey uh, fell off the. Uh, they had like a little bridge stage, and the we had Kevin on as one of our first guests. He told the story. The monkey fell down in his neck slap, so Kevin didn't know what to do, so he's dragging the monkey down the stage. <laughs> Welcome to the big time. All you need was a, was a, oh. a shockmaster hat on top of the monkey, and it's a circus. Oh, but, man. Uh, I mean, but after that, after the years start to go by, we start to see stuff. And that was pretty good, as as opposed to some of the other stuff that went on after we got yeah. there and got established. So I thought, okay, this is okay. We're the big time now. Yeah, the ironic part you know? is they went from the ironic part is they went from spending twenty five twenty five cents on a on a mask with some glitter to spending like you know a hundred grand on glaciers uh, entrance. So you know it's like it was you couldn't find a happy median. It was either it was either nothing or oh. or, or go all out. But um. Uh, oh God! But the, so so after all that, how'd you how'd your brother feel? How'd you guys feel when they when they when they said, uh, "Oh, by the way, uh, uh, Booker, you're doing the job for the Shockmaster, the guy who just uh, embarrassed himself." No, at, at that point, we didn't give a shit. We, we never gave a real rat's ass about what went on as far as going over and things of that nature. Not until we became established and we had a could you know. We had a say in how we wanted to look. Sure. We didn't really care about things like that, man. We just wanted to get out there, uh, work, and and establish ourselves. We were never one, and I've said this even on my own podcast, we were always team players. You oh, never you were, seen no, you were, and I wasn't inferring that you were, and I just... No, I know, you know but I, to, I just want to get this have, over to your listeners. Having, having, you know? to, having to do the job for the guy who just... Who, who, who's gone. Gone down in infamy is probably the most embarrassing segment in the history of televised wrestling. Well, that's the thing. We didn't think about that. The thing with Fred was over and done with. Yeah, sure. We didn't think about that. We were just thinking about uh, doing what they asked us to do, to show people we could work. We didn't think about that. As a matter of fact, uh, after it was over and done with, we didn't think about it. Man, it was a pleasure for me just to meet Fred and and talk to him. I actually felt bad for him to to put him in that position, you know? Yeah, now... Now he has now WWE's come out with Shockmaster uh, 
uh, action figures. So now, hey, after all this time, it's like one of the best-selling action figures out there. So it's ironic how the to business me, comes full circle. Let me let me tell you something. To me, and then my brother used to talk about this. We actually thought they could have still done the Shockmaster thing. We actually thought because a lot of people didn't really know what happened. They only knew what happened when people explained to them what happened. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? At that time, if you're watching it on television, you don't know what's going on. You, yeah. And you could barely tell who that was. So I'm just saying, instead of them dropping the whole thing, what's, people got short memories. Oh, absolutely. People got short, they got short memories and things like that. And I think that Shockmaster things, what they were going to try to do with it, could have still worked. This is just my opinion, you know what I'm saying? So, you you know, it, even though it was live and stuff like that, if you're watching it on, at home on television, you didn't really know what happened. You didn't know that was a gaffe. You wouldn't have known. Yeah. If you just kept going and act like it never happened. You yeah, know, they, 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 they sold it. And I got to tell you, I've never heard... I've heard Tony Schiavone laugh about as hard as he laughed that day, that day after uh, after the commercial where they went to commercial break. But I don't think I've ever heard him hard, laugh that hard that long. Literally, right. he was laughing for. I think they had to extend the commercial break. Quite frankly, the guy. Right. Could, but right. uh, okay, so so you got we got through that, and they put you guys with uh, uh, one of my favorite people, and I know one of your favorite people of all time, uh, Sherry Martellis, sister Sherry. Tell us about how that came about. And uh, any Sherry Martell stories or experiences, memories you have, uh, she's a wonderful person, and uh, it was always great to me. Actually, once we started to get a push, you know, we, we started to climb the ladder a little bit, and we started working with different people, so some of the top people. And, you know, I guess people were putting in words, put those words for us, like, okay, you know, this kind of guy is cool to, cool to get in the ring with. And so then they and they said, hey, okay, we're going to give you guys a push, but we're going to give you guys a manager. So me and my brother didn't say nothing then, but we were 100% opposed to having a manager. We did not want really? a manager. We didn't want a fucking, I didn't want no fucking manager. My brother didn't want no fucking manager. We didn't want to do that because it's like, so they took us in the studio and we had rehearsals with a whole bunch of people. Then me and my brother had a conversation that brother, how are we going to go to these guys and tell them we don't want a manager? We just don't want, we're just going to, we talking in the hotel one day. It was like, we're just going to have to go do it. If we don't want a manager. We don't want, we wanted to be in control, control of our own look because they never put anything. They never put any interest in our look at all. You know, it's just like getting the ring and work. Right. So everything that we came up with as far as, you know, our look, our, you know, the way we talk, the way we rock, interest, so on and so forth, was us. You know, no interest from the company whatsoever. So it's like now they want to put a, a manager with us, or a fucking talking piece. We didn't like it. So right when we were getting ready to go to the office and tell them we didn't want a manager, I think when Sherry came in, she was doing something with Randy Savage and Hulk and them. Right. You know, still trying to do some stuff from the old WWE days. They were trying to bring that to or whatever. Well, we didn't really pay notice to it very much whatsoever. But we, every time we would see Sherry at the building, we would always speak to her. You know, she was always cordial. So, um, I don't know where we were. Gainesville or something like that. Doing a TV taping one afternoon. And we were walking... We walked down by the ring. We seen Sherry. We're like, hey, Sherry, what's going on? And she was like, um, 
I hear you guys. Uh, I hear you guys looking for a manager, and we was like, you know, with all due respect, you know, we don't really want a manager, but they want us to. You know, we just sharing information with her. And she was like, well, what if I was? What if I was you guys manager? And me and my brother looked at each other like, are you kidding? And she was like, no. What if I was you guys manager? And we was like, that worked. And we was like, yeah, that's cool. And uh, she was like, okay, I'm a, um, I'm going to tell some, I don't know, can't remember who she said or whatever. And I, I don't know if we all took it to somebody. And they agreed. And that's how the whole thing started. Any uh, any stories or memories of, of, of Sherry and your time with her? Like I said, and uh, the wonderful, wonderful woman. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, <laughs> Sherry rode on the road with us. You know what I'm saying? She was 100 percent you know, professional. We had good times, you know, and, you know, we just had good times going up and down the road, talking about how messed up, you know, things were that we see and we laugh about it and so on and so forth. No, not really. Other than one night, you know, we used to always let Sherry get involved in certain matches, you know, and one night we were working with uh, in the house show with Jim Duggan and somebody, I can't even remember who it was. And uh, we'll, we'll make, we'll, we'll, Tell them to go feed Sherry. You know what I'm saying? Whoever we're working with, go feed Sherry. And <laughs> we're getting the heat on Jim Duggan. And he feeds Sherry. And Sherry slaps Jim Duggan so hard. I think we talked about this. You remember we talked about this when you did the interview at Ralph's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. On the Hannibal and my brother TV. was telling the story. Yeah. yeah. And my brother, my brother was uh, telling the story. She slapped Jim Duggan so hard, man, that he stopped selling. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my, oh man, my brother was laughing so hard that he went after her. We had to go catch him. Oh my man, it's what you know. You just slap. She hit Jim Duggan like he stole something from her. That they were <laughs> like his, her ex-husband or something, man. It was. We laughed so hard after the match. And Jim coming in like, what was that all about? Oh, my God. She was so apologetic. She was so apologetic, man. I don't know. She just, I guess, because she, she used to do your guys like that, the guys you were in down, you know, the $50 guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, she did the 50 You can't do the, you can't do the six figure, the six figure guys like you do the $50 guys, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> It was so funny when I remember that. That was one of the, oh, it was so funny, man. But oh would you, would you it was a house show. You've had, a, you've, you guys had, you know, different managers. Would you consider her the best manager Harlem Heat ever had? In all actuality, we didn't have different managers. They tried to put, um, who was that? They had Midnight um, with them. Midnight was a manager. I think Jacqueline was, was with you for a while. Yeah, they tried to put Jacqueline with us for a minute, and we went to their office and told them we're not doing this shit. This ain't working. You know, at that time, I'm a, and I've told this story also on my own podcast. After the sheriff thing, I, you know, I didn't really want to even do the tag team thing anymore. Really? No, I didn't want to do it anymore. So was it your, so whose idea was it to, uh, to, to go, you know, your separate ways with uh, Booker and, and yourself as singles? Was no, your- I mean, no, I mean, I mean, it wasn't, it was just like, I think they could see it because they wasn't using us the same way anymore. Right. You know, and Hogan that came to us and put us back together. And, but I was like, if that is, if that's all the, uh, respect that they have for us, then 
it's not the same. Sure. Not to me. So in the Sherry was an intricate part of what we did. And to get rid of her and not even tell us anything, how, how is that respectful to us? We made WCW a lot of money. And we brought WCW a lot of fans. And you can't even come to us and tell us that? And then even give us some kind of direction we're going to go in after this? That shows you how much respect you have for us. I didn't realize that they, they, they ended it that way. Uh, so, uh, well, well, you know it now. Now I know. Uh, so you, uh, you wrestled lots of uh, famous tag teams in, in WCW. I, I made a list of some of them. Uh, the Nasty Boys, the Road Warriors, Sting and Lex Luger, the Steiner Brothers, Hall and Nash. And that's just, uh, you know, so many more than American Male, Stars and Stripes. And uh, what do you, do you have a favorite team looking back that you uh, that you work with in WCW? And, and, and when you're done with that, do you have I mean, a Ste- Ste- Steiner Brothers and us? We always work good together. Sting and Lex, we always work good together. Nasty Boys, we always work good together. I mean. Because we did so much stuff together, even though we wrestled so many other teams, you know, periodically throughout that time. But, you know, those three mainly, you know, we had, you know, we like working with a lot. Sure. Hall and Nash were very good, too. We worked with Hall and Nash on the road a whole lot. We only worked with them once on on a big pay-per-view, but we worked with them a lot before that. Any team that you that you look back and you say uh, that uh, didn't really enjoy that too much? Well, you know, I've told this story on my own podcast, and I keep you know, I hate to keep referring back to that, but um, uh, was it Rough and Ready? Rough and Ready. Uh, Dick Slater and uh, and um, uh, what was the other guy's name? Was it Bunkhouse Buck? Yeah, Bunkhouse Buck. Not that we didn't have, we had good matches with them. But it never was it never felt right. Right. But it always looked good. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. <laughs> it's hard to explain, and I've told this a lot My also with different interviews on different podcasts and things of that nature. Everybody asked me that question. But we had good matches with them. We had really good matches with them. Just in a but few it was just, You know what I'm saying? There's certain people you know you just dance with and you can feel it, you know? You know, but then we go back and look at the tape and go, damn, that didn't, it didn't look the way it felt, you know, other than that. But I'm not saying that in a bad way. Like, you know, anybody, we didn't want to work more. We worked with them many times. Absolutely. Many times. And then it might have been because we was kind of on the big face side too, you know? Right. And we worked with them. It wasn't on the heel. Everybody else we was kind of on the heel side, you know, so could have been that. But What's me and my it? brother would come back in the dressing room and we go, did you like that? And he's like, no, I didn't feel right. I didn't feel right to me either. Then the agents would come up and go, hey, that was a great match. Then we'd go watch the match on television and go, damn, that was a pretty good match. You know? So it might have just been something in me and my brother's head. Who knows? So uh, as as we uh, continue in our WCW trip down memory lane, at some point Booker got a, a run with the TV title as a singles uh, wrestler, and you ended up, I don't know if the timing is exact, but you ended up in the NWO. Uh, was it? I'm not exactly 100 percent sure how to say this, but was it awkward as brothers when you know and and being used to teaming for so long when you guys both went your your separate ways? Was that awkward for for you? I wouldn't use the word awkward. 
Um, like I said, at that time, you know, from a creative standpoint, we kind of relished the fact to be doing something else other than the same thing that people have been watching us do for the last 10 years, you know? So it was kind of, kind of, kind of cool to go out and, you know, he's doing this and I'm doing that. So we kind of relished it, bro, to be honest. Tell me your, tell me your memories of how you felt when, uh, when he won the world title. Well, at that time, the only thing I didn't like, I can tell you this. I thought it was a great achievement for him to win the world title. But when you win the world title, I think you should be pushed like the world title is. That I had a problem with. Sure, but the actual match where he where he walked back in the back and you know he had achieved the ultimate. And it all it almost to me, like I said, it was it was it was a joyous occasion, but it almost seemed too manufactured to yeah. me. It almost seemed like they was doing it for a reason, you know, with all the lawsuit stuff that was going on, this, that, and the other. It was like, okay, uh, let's do this to try to shut, shut this, shut these people up or shut this up and make it look like we're not the biggest, you know, biggest on earth. I and I you. had a problem with that. I got you. I got you. Um, I could tell you as, as somebody who was who worked uh, as assistant uh, talent relations when that all went down, because I was the one who called your brother and said, please bring a suit because you're winning the world title on Sunday and you need a suit for, for Nitro. I can tell you that mm-hmm. that I, I can't, I don't know what was in the mind of everybody to this day. I don't know what was in the mind, but I, I, I honestly think that the the feeling was that your brother deserved to be the world champion. Well, regardless I, know, of the I, color I, of I do. I do know that. But, you know, I've had this conversation with Vince Russo also. And our Vince Russo said he pointed out in, in a meeting that they think should get the World Heavyweight Championship. And deservedly, my brother's name came up. Yes, he, he's told me that story. Yeah. So, but, no, go ahead. But that being, with that being said, that still does not mean the people that thought he was deserving actually wanted the belt on him. It's a difference. I got you. I got you. I think it, I think that, uh, it, uh, I'm not speaking for Booker here and I know you're not either, but I think, uh, that, that he proved any, any doubters or anybody that had, was in it for the wrong reasons. I think he proved them wrong, uh, about a decade ago, but, uh, that's a totally different story, but uh, most definitely. But at the end, but, and that's why I said, you would see on the show, they still pushed Bill Goldberg and Scott Steiner right. and a couple other people over the world heavyweight champion. Yeah. And I had a fucking problem with that. But funny enough, it's still sort of like that. You know, uh, the world championship you know? match for WrestleMania is AJ Styles and, and uh, 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 Nakamura, but... You know the main. What's the real main event? John Cena and, and Undertaker. Is it? Well, is it Ronda well, that, Rousey? That's a match. I'm talking about on the show on a week to week basis. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. So I don't. I don't really take. I don't really take heed to WrestleMania and all that stuff now because it's repetitive. Yeah. But back in the day, whoever the heavyweight champion was, that's who pulled the wagon. You're right. And I'm not making excuses for any of these guys because a lot of guys got pushes 
and didn't deserve it. Right. My brother deserved it and never got it like he should have. I got a fucking problem with that. I got you. I don't disagree. And I'll always have a problem with that. So if people want to really ask me about the politics of professional wrestling, I'm going to lay it on the line because I don't really do shits who cares and who doesn't. And I ain't got to call names. And that's why I ain't got to call names. And that's what this is why when I have, when I have, uh, when I have uh, conversations with people on my radio show about the greatest quarterback in the NFL ever, people say it's Tom Brady. And I will always say, if you look at every single solitary top quarterback that went to the fucking Hall of Fame, he took somebody with him. Tom Brady is the only motherfucker that would never take anybody with him. Well, I think. And I say this, hold on. And what I say, when they make people champions in certain wrestling organizations, especially in our era, he always had a one match everybody remembers. And we work with people that has no matches that anybody remember other than how shitty it was. Right. Now, anybody want to fucking question me on that? Please step as, as far as I Tom, always have my facts. As far as Tom Brady goes, I know uh, I would venture to say that Bill, when Bill Belichick goes in the Hall of Fame, he's going to take Tom Brady with him. <laughs> hey, that's a good analogy. Because because right. because when Tom Brady was injured a few years ago, and they put the backup in under, uh, and then they had to put the backup to the backup. When it was actually when he was suspended for four games. They had to put the right. rookie back up to the backup, and they went three they and won one. Every game. They won, well, they went three and one. Uh, That's right. They won three so, and one. So, uh, so I think that uh, you know, getting totally off wrestling in a football since you brought it up, uh, uh, Belichick's bringing Brady to the Hall of Fame, and uh, Brady might not be bringing anybody along because I think that uh, not to take anything away you know from why? Tom Brady, but I think that uh, no. uh, a lot of quarterbacks could have been su- as successful in the system that Bill Belichick runs. And that's the you one hundred percent right. Thank you. That's the second time because this, this podcast. We're on a different subject, though. <laughs> I know. We're on football and not fucking right. From you, I'll but take it when I can get it, man. <laughs> You're 100% right. This guy plays in a system sure. that you do not a system, which means you can plug people in and out. They don't have to have a name. As long as you can play in the system, the system will work. Absolutely. So that means you can also plug in People at his position might not be as good, but the system will still work. You can't say that about uh, a Peyton Manning. So when he left the Indianapolis Colts, they go down to the last, the bottom of the barrel. Yep. Of the Denver Broncos. Yep. That went down when John Elway retired. They went down to the bottom of the barrel. Yep. Sometimes, you know sometimes it's a player. Sometimes it's a system. In New England, it's a system. No disrespect to Don Brady. Uh, much respect to saying. much respect to Bill Belichick. On a scale of zero to ten, with zero being the worst and ten being the best, how much did you enjoy Harlem Heat Inc. with Tony Norris and the the, the whole crew? You know, you know, we had some fun, man. But uh, you know, uh, that didn't kind of work out the way I thought it would. But you know. I'm, yeah, you know, I wanted to get my boy in there. You know, he, he you know, to uh, Russo thought he could do some stuff with him and so on and so forth. But it, we had fun as as long as it lasted. You know what I'm saying? With my boy Teddy, it was okay. You know, it was, it was just something to do. You know? Sure, something to do. So you transitioned you know? to a color commentator. How, how 
I, you know, it, it, it worked. And it, it, but, but, but I don't think that when, you know, two years into or three years in the WCW, uh, and if, if I'd have told you, uh, I don't know about you, but if I'd have told most people that Steve Ray's going to end up being an entertaining color commentator, uh, I think most people would have said, well, you know, not that you're right or wrong. It's just, you know, you get, <laughs> how, how did, how did that happen? Cause I, I, you know, I don't know how it happened, man. I come to find out it was Disco Inferno that went to Vince Russo and told him that I could do it. And I didn't, they didn't, he never told me anything about it until a year ago. Really? So Disco did something right. Yeah, in I, this was business. On, I was on the road. I was on the road with Harlem Heat 2000. And I remember we were in Salt Lake City, Utah. And we were finishing up that night in Salt Lake City. And we, I was going to go home. I was going to go home because I don't think we were on the Monday show. Right. I can't remember. Something like that. I think I was going to go home. So anyway, I get a fax to my hotel and saying that I need to be at... Monday, I need to be at the, uh, where we was doing the Nitro at, I can't remember. And I was like, God, dog it, man. I was like, man, I tell the guys, I was like, man, I got to go. They just sent me a ticket and stuff. You know, you know, had all the st- numbers and stuff on the go to the airport, and I got to go to wherever we're taping and stuff at. Then, so they said they were bringing me in for a tryout as a commentator. And I'm like, a commentator? She ain't nobody. I mean, nobody's even asked me anything about this. I get everything for facts. <laughs> that was you know? WCW in 2000. Right. I'm like, wow. Okay, whatever. So I get to the building. They were like, okay, you're going to do your tryout, you know, early or whatever. And then I'm like, okay, when am I going to do the tryout? And, uh, oh, in a couple hours, okay, that never happened. Then it's getting later and later. Finally, I see Blue So I'm like, man, uh, I still haven't done my tryout, man. They said I was going to do it here. Um, no, no, no. Let me take that back. Let me retract all that. At first, I was supposed to go to Turner and do it downtown. Right. And they said, no, no, uh, you're going to do it at the building. Okay, whatever the show was. I said, like, okay, we'll do it at the building. Never did that. Finally, I called Russo. And Russo was like, well, you ain't doing it tonight. You starting tonight. I'm like, <laughs> I ain't got no notes. I don't know nothing, bro. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay, what the hell ever. So I ended up, uh, that's how the whole thing started. And, you know, Tony and Mike and they helped me out little by little. And that's all I remember. And next thing you know, I was getting a little better every week, a little better every week. And, and you know, and a lot of people don't, of people don't realize that's actually what I was uh, going to go to school for. Really? Did you enjoy yeah. Did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. Did you see a future? Oh, yeah. Did you see a future in it? If you think if WCW, no, I mean no. I mean back when I got out of high school. No, no, no. And, I mean uh, I while you were doing it on Thunder, did you sit, say to yourself, you know, I could be doing this in ten years if uh, WCW, you know? You know what? When Eric Nim came back in, I mean the reason I knew I was good at it was the fan mail. The fan mail I was getting. Yeah. Where people people were giving me the thumbs up on. They love the one-liners. They love what I, you know, this, that, and the other. And I was like, wow, okay. Because I used to DJ and stuff when I, when I was a young man. You know, I used to DJ and stuff like that. That's what I actually wanted to go to school for. And uh, 
So it just a lot of that stuff that I used to do years ago just kind of like came back. And then I just started implementing, you know, uh, Ed Farrar was in my ear so much. And finally I had to go to him and tell him, Ed, you got to get out of my ear. Bro. <laughs> you know, uh, I can think on my feet. Believe me. I say, I'm, I know you guys used to seeing the Stevie Ray character, but I can really think on my feet. Really. I know what I'm doing. And he was like, okay. You know, he was giving me stuff to say, but he actually, he, he's confusing me. I know what to say. So in essence, I just like my personality come out, my personality that that I am outside of professional wrestling. Sure. And you know, a lot of times and, that a lot of times that doesn't work. I you know, you know Arn Anderson's one right. of the funniest guys in the world. Uh right. but they tried Arn Anderson out as comic color commentator and it didn't work. Dean Malenko's a funny guy too, but Dean Malenko uh you know, they tried him out it didn't work. So it, it doesn't always trans. Nothing against those guys; those are two of the funniest guys in the right. business. But it just doesn't always translate, and and you can't you can't necessarily decide figure it out until you p- stick somebody there and you know kind of throw them in the fire as they did to you. Although they could have given you at least a tryout to see. But well, see uh, what the reason, what happened was I used to commentate the matches, and I would end. I would I would uh, me and my brother would do this sometimes. We would imitate people from wrestling. Ah. Because like I said, we grew up doing it, watching it. So what we would do was imitate the people that we heard commentate wrestling in the dressing room. Remember the dressing room monitors didn't have uh, sound. See, I was, I was in the ring. I was outside the ring, so I, don't, I, never, right. knew, I never knew that. So you guys... Yeah, the dre- you guys the dressing were... room monitors didn't have sound, so the right. guys would always want us to do the color commentary <laughs> in the match. So it was almost like they was really watching you know what I'm a wrestling match at home or something like that. And we would just make the guys laugh all the time. So you're entertaining sometimes the boys. Was, right. So sometimes it was me by myself, sometimes my brother by myself, and sometimes we do it together. So you we know? have identified the one thing that Disso Inferno did right in this business in 30 years. So when they were looking for a wrestler to do it, Disco went to um, – Vince and said, man, you need to get Stevie Ray. If he's anything like he is in the uh, dressing room, he can do this. So that's where it came from. Now, and I never knew this until, um, I don't know, last year. Wow. That's, that's funny. Uh, now, a lot of people probably that either stopped watching WCW because that was towards the end of the, of the run and it was part of it was unwatchable. And, uh, or people that have become fans since then probably – have never they, they probably don't even remember that you were a, a, a color commentator, but uh, I've read recently that Thunder is going to be uh, coming to the WWE Network. They're going to put the episodes up. So are you? Yeah, look- someone just told me about that last yeah. week. I didn't so, even know Thunder wasn't on the network. I yeah, thought it was. I didn't yeah. know that. No, it's not. So are you looking forward to uh, to people getting to to to, to hear you know uh, to hear your commentating and maybe identify with you in that way as opposed to you know Booker T's older brother. You know, you know, really and truly, brother, you know, I get so many comments on social media about my commentary. Really? People still you know, remember? Now, this will be. That's oh, awesome. hell yeah, man. I mean, I'm, I used to drive down the street, you know, and if I had the roof off my car or if I'm, uh, somebody recognized you and they go, hey, fruit booty. <laughs> <laughs> Suckers got to know. Suckers that, got you know, to know. Ladies, people, yeah. still, people are still doing this stuff, man, even to this day, especially on my Facebook page and stuff like that. So, you know, people seem like they know me more for that brief thing than 
a whole lot of other stuff. But hey, man, as long as I'm remembered, that's all I care about. Exactly. Exactly. That's all I care about, man. I mean, I I got into something that I loved, and I was able to be successful at it and make a living from it, man. And not too many people can say that. Yeah. And I'm very fortunate, man, that I was able to do that. And I look back on it, and even though we were in some very, you know, I don't even know what word to use, maybe uh, misguided or, you know, or I don't know, dysfunctional time. And WCW at that time, with everything uh, this functional would be this functional would be right. appropriate, but probably an understatement. <laughs> right. But I'm like, we lived through those fucking most dysfunctional fuck ups, and I you tell me, we we lived through some of the most dysfunctional fucked up, funniest shit known to fucking man, and I'm glad I was a part. Well, of look at you, look at what you just said. Who throws a guy that's never done color commentary out in, in front of uh, <laughs> on a national network in front of millions of people and throws him out on a whim and a prayer because nobody knew what you were <laughs> right. going to do. I mean, so, you know, you want to say dysfunctional, you just gave a perfect example. <laughs> Speaking of which, there's a great transition to uh, my next subject, which is uh, WWE buying WCW uh, right. and the end of WCW. Um, as somebody who, yeah. you know, had a hell of a ride in WCW and saw a lot of ups and a lot of downs, but like you said, made a good living. What were your what were your thoughts? Was it bittersweet? But you know what, man? I'm going to tell you something. So I knew it was coming. I just didn't know how it was coming, but I knew it was coming. I think we all did. Man, were... man, yeah, and I think a lot of people just didn't want to believe it. But me and Teddy Long used to talk about this all the time. We used to talk about, how is this still going? <laughs> how is this still going, bro? What the hell is going on? You know, when you really look at things as to what was going on behind the scenes, what was going on with payroll and stuff like that. And I ain't trying to put nobody out there, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Eventually, you know, when, when time Warner came, when, 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 when Turner and time Warner consolidated, you knew that was the beginning of the end. Yeah. Cause Ted, Tur Warner, Ted, Ted Turner was, uh, was, was the one who would always uh, go to bat and say, no, you know, not on my watch. Right. Well, you know, they, right. they went around, they, they, they merged with enough companies uh, to, to, uh, get around his watch. And, uh, yeah, I right. think, I think if I'm being honest, I, I knew as well, but you know, I just, I, you know, I kept hope, praying for the best, uh, uh, cause you know, I was living my dream as well. Um, Oh yeah, we all were. Did you get an offer to go to WWE either, either as a wrestler? Or I, a didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want to. You didn't want to. Why not? No. Well, actually, at that time, like I told my brother before everything went down, I told him, man, I'm done with this. My daughter is getting older. She's like, what, eight years old now, seven, eight years old now? You know, at that time. At that time, yeah. And I need, and I need to be home more, you know, and I'm not going to sacrifice 300 days a year anymore because these are crucial years in her life, and I need to be home more. So I was like, Hey man, go do your thing. Have you ever regretted? Have you ever not not regretted? Because I don't think you probably ever, ever regret anything you did. But have you ever have you ever looked back and thought what might have been if you kept on rolling? Well, yeah, I have. But I knew I like I told people once. Like I, I'm kind of an aficionado when I look at certain things and study certain things. I knew for a fact, even if I had gone to WWE, 
I couldn't have put up with what my mother put up with. Yeah, it's a whole different kind of uh, territory for sure. Um, I, I, and I wouldn't, even if they had a, the Harlem Heat thing, because at the time, my, my brother was a champion when all that happened. Right. So I know they wasn't going to go from, you know, then again, who knows what you know. I'm not going to say that I know. I don't know. I just kind of feel and assume. But anyway, be it as it may. Um, like I told, I told every single solitary person what was going to happen to each and every WCW individual that went up there after that merger. And people to this day called me and said, man, you called it. I knew it. Well, your brother was one it. of the, probably the most successful one. No, this is before success. What I'm talking about is this. I knew Vince McMahon will use us to push his guys. Right, right. Now, with that being said, my brother was always known, and so am I, as two ass-kicking brothers from the hood that we lay it down. We talk shit, and we try to back it up. Right. That's our persona. I ain't never been no punk. I ain't never been no punk when I was growing up in Sunnyside, Texas, Sunnyside neighborhood. When I moved to South Park neighborhood, I ain't never been no punk. Anybody can ask anybody about a Huffman brother. You want to fight, motherfucker, we fight all day. I can't even see my, putting myself in that mindset. But I know that's what he had to do for himself. Right. And that is how Vince takes the moniker off you. Right. I got to bring you from being a top titleist to down here and then let Hold you maybe up. come back up if, if, if you can go through all the other bullshit. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, it's certainly a different. I never so, worked there, but it's from what everything I hear and talking to people every week about the wrestling business, it's certainly a different working environment than, than WCW was. Uh, but, but, but if I'm an ass-kicking guy, I'm an ass-kicking guy. But, you know, that's their style. And they wanted to do that with everybody. Now, what do you think they would have done with me? When I always tell people, and they say, dude, you, man, I wish Harlem Heat had went to uh, WWE. And I would always tell them, even to this day, I like people to remember Harlem Heat as two ass-kicking brothers from the street. There you go. You never, you never got it another way. Or re or reboot it. You never got that, any, and that's all people remember. Any thought of uh, go, of of ever going there as a color commentator? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, um, I almost got a um, I almost got a tryout once, but they gave it to somebody else. Yeah, I think that that, that could have been interesting. Hey, let me ask you a question. If they uh, uh, tell you, if you got a call from uh, the office and they said, uh, we want uh, Harlem Heat to do one last match or one last angle uh, on uh, on starting on Raw, uh, any mm -hmm. chance you guys would, would do it or are you guys uh, happy with the ending that you have? I don't know, man. That's a good question. I really don't know. Quite, quite I, frankly, I'm surprised they haven't done it. Well, I'll be the honest, but you, ever since I've got out the wrestling business, I'm not the easiest person to work with. <laughs> because I don't look at I don't look at professional wrestling as something that you know I was never going to let someone hold something over my head for me to be a bitch for you. Right. That ain't me. And I know a lot of guys in the business have done that because because of the paycheck. You know what I'm saying? But I never lived amongst I never lived above my means. Right. 
and I've always been able to uh, do what I want to do. You know, and like I said, when WCW those, I went overseas, and I still did ended when I felt like it. I had my, you know, I had opened my my detail shop, and it was it was hey man, I was having fun. I was at home a lot, you know, spending time with my daughter, and I could come and go as I please. I want to do it. Indie people, man, people just to blow me up for stuff. You know what I'm saying? And I was right. like, hey, bro, I ain't, you know. You know, I'm not going to be out here fucking every weekend trying to pick up a couple of bucks and shit, you know. Right. Uh, actually, I said and, I, I said before that uh, that I'm surprised they haven't done it. I'm actually, I take that back. I'm not surprised because it wasn't their idea. So why would they Why would they reunite Harlem Heat? It wasn't their idea. <laughs> you know, but um, I don't know. Uh, you know, um, who knows? But, you know, the thing is, hey. I'm satisfied with everything that I did in the business, and I'm not one of these guys that sit back. You know, when I talk to wrestlers this day, and everybody got so many, uh, you know, bad feelings about this, that, and the other, man. But I'm a strong believer in evolution. And matter of fact, I had the same conversation with Vince Russo because, the, you know, the guys don't look like this anymore, and the guys don't know the storylines are not this anymore. But I'm like, dog, if you look at every other you look at anything in pop culture, professional wrestling is no exception. When I grew up, uh, a person like uh, Mario Andretti, AJ Foyt, um, Dale Earnhardt, they were men. Now you look at NASCAR, these guys look like they just got out of high school. <laughs> and they're making a lot I more mean, money too. Well, but that's the evolution. Hmm. I say you look at if you look at the actors in the big movies, the Paul Newmans, you know, uh, different people that was around in those times, the 70s and the 80s, early 90s, they look like men. I say, you look at a superhero movie now, they, you, I say, you know, those early, those early uh, X-Men movies, Wolverine, all those guys look like men. Look at those, look at all the people in these movies now, they look like kids. Absolutely. I don't. I don't watch too many. I don't watch too many movies these days. But I understand. I understand the bigger point. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. It can be television. The thing is, the evolution of pop culture is gravitating toward a younger and younger and younger audience. The forty-five, fifty-year-old guy that's still on top. Those days are over. Yeah. And well, there's so many platforms. There's so many platforms to be able to watch now. You just don't. You know, I, 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 I was right. talking to Jeff Jarrett about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago and uh, on the on the podcast. And, you know, there's Netflix, there's Hulu, there's, you know, my 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 uh, my 21 year old doesn't even have a TV in his room. He he watches everything he watches off of the Internet, off of YouTube. Off exactly. Of, so there's so many platforms now, you know, before it was only one place because, to watch. Because the people that is paying for this advertising and all of that stuff, that's what they're gravitating to. Right. You know what I'm saying? They're gravitating to the young basketball player, baseball player, football player, hockey player, professional wrestlers. You know, the guys that's in their 40s, you almost know it's damn near over now. Whereas back in our day, if you was in your 40s, shit, it's just getting started. Yep, you you are correct on that one. Uh, what are you doing now? Uh, any, uh, you still have the detail shop? I know you have a radio show and a podcast if you want to. Tell us, uh, tell our listeners about that. Uh, certainly, look like, well, 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 I sold my, uh, I sold my detail shop a few years back, and uh, I have a small trucking company now. 
uh, Stevie Ray's trucking. And I, uh, like I said, I had a radio show, Straight Shooting Stevie Ray, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. But now I'm moving to a new radio station with Straight Shooting Stevie Ray starting this, this Wednesday, the 22nd, on KYND right here in Houston, Texas. Straight Shooting Stevie Ray is coming back. And I also do a podcast, uh, Stand Up for Greatness with Stevie Ray, that we've kind of put on hold right now until we get some things kind of ironed out because I've always... I've always wanted to make sure everything was right. Other than that, I don't want to do it. Right. So once we get some more things right, you know, straight shooting with Stevie Ray is coming back. And straight shooting with, I mean, straight shooting with Stevie Ray is coming back on the radio, but Stand Up for Greatness, I don't even know if you know, Stand Up for Greatness in four and a half months went to 195 on iTunes. Can you believe that? Really? Wow. That's impressive. Stand Up for Greatness. Uh, yeah, I'm impressive. <laughs> you are an impressive yeah, guy. Talking, what the hell are you talking about, bro? Which is why, which I'm is impressive. why, which is why you, you are my, like it's a surprise. Which is what? No, I'm not. Which is why you're on my bucket yeah, you list. Did. Which you is said, like, oh, that could never happen. No, no, the no, no. no. That's what you. That's how you put it. See, see, you, you're always turning things I say around on me. No, I'm not turning around. You say to say, hey, man, that's impressive. <laughs> oh, that's impressive. Oh, that that surprise you. You know what? I'm gonna be. Surprising? You know what? I'm gonna be honest with you, Stevie. You want me to be honest with you? No, a little I, bit. I hope you have been honest with me since day one. This <laughs> means you haven't been honest with me since day one. Since you have to bring that up, but so, go ahead. Oh, I, a little bit surprised, only because you you've been out of the, the the mainstream so long. I'm a little bit surprised. I'm not gonna lie to you, but but that that's a testament to your personality and and the and the things that you've accomplished. So congratulations. I appreciate that coming from you. Sure. I mean it with I, I mean it that. from the bottom of my heart. Uh all right, well, uh love to have you back and uh, tell more stories. Uh uh but uh I really, really appreciate you coming on and spending the time you did. Like I said, I've always wanted John. It was challenging in some parts, it was hilarious at some parts, uh, but uh I know that everything you say and do is straight from the heart and uh I appreciate it and uh uh, just, well, what, what what is your daughter doing? Because I know you, you you walked away from a lucrative business to to be with her. So uh, tell us about her. Actually, my, sure daughter, my daughter my daughter graduated college uh, last year. Congratulations! And uh, she she has I appreciate that she has a degree in fine arts, and uh, and and uh, what else was it? Uh, uh, theater arts, theater arts. But anyway. Um, not fine arts, theater arts. Uh, she's uh, working at one of the big cosmetic outlets here in town, but still pursuing her. You know, she wants to be on stage, and that's what she that's what she does when she has time. Um, like, fa like the, father, uh, like daughter, small. just in a uh, just a different stage. Well, I'm sure out of <laughs> I'm sure out of all the things you accomplished, that's uh, that's the most proudest. So, uh, congratulations for her. Most definitely, that is one hundred percent true. Sure, that's what. And if my daughter had been, if I had had a a kid at you know twenty one instead of thirty one, who knows? Might have been a different story, you know? Yeah. But this is your story, and I appreciate you coming on and telling it. Hey, Stevie, thank you so much. Uh, best of luck to you. I uh, hope to see you around, and uh, uh, appreciate uh, the time for sure. I, I appreciate that, brother, and uh, for having me on. And uh, congratulations with your new podcast. And I hope you have some more guests on that can actually equal to my presence, but I know that'll be hard to do. 
See, I told you that was going to be fun. Uh, he challenges me, and I knew he would, and uh, he doesn't. But but I think I was 100% correct twice. Once on wrestling and once on football, but I'll take it. Uh, no, he's a really fun guy, and he has a heart of gold. And uh, uh, But he does like to, uh, he, he likes a good old, uh, uh, you know, confrontation. And uh, who doesn't? Uh, if you don't, you shouldn't be around this business for sure. So uh, really appreciate his time. And I guess I'm going to be doing his radio show. So I look forward to doing that. And uh, we'll uh, put a link on Twitter when uh, that goes down as well. But uh, let us know what you think of, uh, of of our talk with Stevie Ray. I had a blast. Um, I don't think there's been a podcast I laughed that hard. And uh, I gave him the, 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 uh, the opening twice and he didn't bite. But uh, I'll say it one more time. We finally found out that the one positive thing that the Disco Inferno has done in the pro wrestling business. So let that be a footnote in history. And uh, maybe we'll use it as a trivia question for a prize or something down the line here, six months or so. So uh, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what you thought. Let me know what you think about current wrestling business. Any topic is cool. At David Penzer, all one word, at Penzer Ringside. You can communicate with me via email privately, uh, David Penzer at radioinfluence.com. Be sure to spread the word. We appreciate if you have uh, subscribed to this podcast. If not, please do. And if you're, the platform you listen on allows you to leave a review, we appreciate that as well. We're going to continue to bring you uh, fun stories and interesting guests and uh, different perspectives on an industry that I was blessed to be a part of. Uh, getting ready to head to Augusta, Georgia for the first of uh, several, uh, I guess you would say spring uh, Legends of Wrestling shows. The one in Detroit coming up in April is Stacked Sting, Ric Flair, uh, Ricky Steamboat, Mick Foley, Eric Bischoff, Ted DiBiase, Road Warrior Animal, uh, Nasty Boys, Jimmy Hart, just to name a few. And, um, so uh, check out uh, thelegendsofwrestling.com, thelegendsofwrestling.com. If you have any interest uh, in being in Detroit, I believe Mike Freeland uh, is going to be in Detroit. I haven't caught up with Mike uh, in a while. And as we get closer to WrestleMania, we certainly will uh, bring on Mike to uh, talk about uh, the build to WrestleMania and, and, and probably the show itself. So uh, Mike Freeland will be in Detroit for the Legends of Wrestling event and is looking forward to it. Uh, but uh, check out thelegendsofwrestling.com be sure to uh, hit Stevie Ray up uh, listen to his radio show uh, when his podcast comes back on and um, I'm looking forward to participating there as well until next time ladies and gentlemen we'll see you next week folks follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer also make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. The mainstream media and certain activist groups would have you believe that all white police officers are racist thugs. But what if I told you this was the furthest thing from the truth? What if I told you crime brings police, not color? What if I told you a 30-second video does not tell a complete story of what really happened. If you really want to hear a logical explanation of policing in this country, then listen to me, Vincent Hill, Tuesdays on Beyond the Badge, 
Beyond the Badge can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.